Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Fixed Income Conversation Corner Podcast on the UBS Market Moves Podcast Channel. A timely conversation on deck for you today as our guests will provide their insights into the current environment for fixed income investing and share considerations when it comes to allocation within the asset class. Uh, Joining us for the conversation today, glad to welcome back Leslie Falconio, Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Also glad to welcome back to the podcast, Scott DiMaggio, co-head of Fixed Income, Director of Global Fixed Income, and a member of the Operating Committee at AB, or Alliance Bernstein. Uh, Leslie, Scott, it's great to be with you both. Great. Thank you, Dan. And and thank you, Scott. I I really appreciate you taking the time. And I know myself, our advisors and our clients always look look forward to what you have to say. And this is going to be a very interesting conversation, uh, given what's going on. So I do want to sort of just dive right in. You know, Scott, one of the things that, that, that since the last time you and I spoke, which I think was near the end of the year, that you know, we had realized that maybe not the magnitude of what we saw, but we have some headwinds in regards to, you know, the Fed being a little bit more hawkish. So we've had, as a result, we saw some credit spread widening, given it might slightly take their foot off the gas in terms of accommodation. But as we, what we've experienced since the middle of February is sort of like a whole new echelon with the, you know, Russia-Ukrainian disruption and all this geopolitical risk. So how, in your opinion, do you see this impacting fixed income over the past several weeks? And what do you think is going to be going forward in terms of credit or rates for that matter? Yeah, thank Leslie, thank you and thank you, BS, for, for the invite. You guys are great partners, so you know, always, always happy to be here. You know, I think as you you know, I think as you said, the, the market's the market's attention is rightly focused on, you know, what's happening in this, you know, this awful invasion of, of Ukraine. It's typically foolish to say things like the past few weeks have changed the direction of world history, but I really believe this is one of those times. Just to just to keep it brief, right? The sanctions that are put in place are very meaningful. It's going to cause a significant slowdown, potentially a collapse, you know, of the Russian economy. It's hard to really see an exit ramp right now for Putin and how he gets how he gets out of this. I, I think you know Putin made a, a, a grave miscalculation. Right. This invasion has turned a, a passive Germany militant, a neutral Switzerland partisan, a divided U.S. united, and it's really unified any transatlantic differences that, that existed. This, the partnership that's been cemented between Russia and China is going to become a large, larger geopolitical force that's really going to impact the global order for, for possibly decades to come. So, you know, it's there, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot, I think, that this is going to mean for asset allocation and for markets. If we think about the market action, as you said, over the past, you know, two, three weeks, what has this led to in the rates market? You know, number one, it has led to a flatter yield curve. It has led to, uh, you know, the, the expectations of a further economic slowdown. And that yield curve, two tens, you know, getting down into the low 20, uh, 20 basis points. Uh, before today, it's still it's taken a little bit out of Fed pricing until right? so we went from about seven hikes priced in to somewhere in the six ish right area. Not not a meaningful change. It's led to a strong rally in tips, break evens, any kind of inflation protection. Again, as you as you would expect, um, our expectations are still Treasuries for the first half of this year. You know, stay in that the ten year stays in that one seventy five to two percent range. And we've, we've oscillated quite quite a bit. Um, the last comment I'll just make on on rates, you know, after struggling in January, this notion of a barbell, 
this notion that rates and credit, that they're negatively correlated, that did not hold in January, right? Both the rate side and the credit side was negative. One of the, you know, the nice things we've seen at least the past couple of weeks is that negative correlation has for the most part reestablished itself. It's this, the, the move lower in yields and negatively car, negative correlations really serve as a good reminder of why clients need duration in their portfolios as a diversifier. Yeah, Scott, I just, I just, I want to emphasize on, on something you just said because I think it's, it's very important. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot with our client advisors and, and, you know, people just, the, the old adage is, well, if interest rates are rising, therefore growth is going to be better. So credit spreads tighten. And that, and that's then the one, two, three. And as we saw, as you pointed out at the beginning of this year, you know, saw just the exact opposite. It's just rates rising and credit spreads widening. Obviously, part of it's due to velocity. So we went from 150 to 206 in such a short period of time in 10-year yield. But I think to your point, there is a certain amount of spread cushion that we're seeing right now that does alleviate part of that sort of stress as interest rates normalize from the, you know, 33 basis points we had gotten during March of 2020. But when you think about, let's talk about the Fed for a moment, because as we know, part of that velocity or part of that large move in rates that we saw in the first month of the year was due to the market sentiment and the shift that the Fed would be, you know, extremely hawkish. And as you pointed out, they were pricing in, you know, seven, eight rate hikes. You know, we have the, what we call the, the trifecta, you know, no more taper, QT, you know, hiking rates. How do you see sort of this path going forward for the balance of 22? In, in your opinion, do you think that they pull back, are a little bit more cautious? Are they concerned about, you know, higher energy prices, fiscal cliffs, sort of, you know, contracting consumer demand. Just, just what's your thought on the, on the Fed going forward for the balance of the year? Yeah, I, I think what's what's crystal clear, Leslie. You know, for us is that you know what's happened the past couple of weeks with this invasion. It's going to it's going to slow growth, right? The sanctions. I mean, you have to remember we've never sanctioned a central bank this big, right? So we're kind of not even sure what happens, right? What are the what are the follow through the repercussions? We've had the energy and commodity price spike, which has been well. You know, written about. So we're going to keep inflation at persistently high levels, you know, for the next several quarters at, at a minimum. This is going to create more of a stagflationary environment, right? And I'm kind of doing air quotes around that stagflationary. But it's probably not going to stop central banks from hiking, right? Case in point, the Bank of Canada hiked rates last week, and Powell told us to expect 25 basis points, you know, from the Fed uh, this, this month. Um, I think what's important, though, is, you know, financial conditions continue to tighten. They've tightened really without the Fed doing anything, you know, so far. And what the Fed is really trying to get at is tighter financial conditions. So the correction in stock, the move in the dollar, the move wider in credit spreads is really doing some of the Fed's job for them. I think as a result, the Fed, you know, will tighten. They will, they will tighten until they really start to see growth slow. Right? The probability of the Fed lowering inflation without a growth slowdown is very low. So our expectation is that there's a little bit too much priced in, you know, for the Fed now. And most likely we, we see less than, you know, less than that six, six or so that's in the market. And how do you think, like when we think about, you know, the, the Fed tightening, and, and I agree with you, more than likely, you know, even though the sentiment is, as you pointed out earlier, is not as strong as it was in the beginning of the year in regard to the path of the Fed funds rate, it's still relatively high. 
And, you know, I do agree that they would probably lean more on the cautious side. But unfortunately, as we know, it's a debted spending kind of thing. And we're going to have to just wait and see, which keeps volatility heightened. So with that said, and with the potential of the Fed tightening, which could move around quite a bit, and hopefully we'll get some more information on March 16th, and these geopolitical concerns, when we look at where credit spreads are today, so let's just take even like the ICE BAML, the IG corporates at over 140, the widest since you know, September 2020, and we have high yield widening and even some of the securitized products, given the fact that mortgage rates are higher. What do you think sort of is this trend going forward? Um, and do you, do you think that things like some of the short-term stress we're seeing in funding could really heighten these pockets of vulnerability in regards to the credit market. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's really a good question. And Elizabeth, I think as you as you well articulated, there's a lot of headwinds right now. There's a lot of negatives out there. Right, all the things you mentioned: global conf- conflict, high energy prices, sanctions, and tightening monetary policy. It's going to be a very difficult environment for risk assets, right, and fixed income risk assets. So far, markets have have. They're wider, but they've been repricing in an orderly way. So we've seen selling, but it really hasn't seen that big gappiness that we've seen in 2020 or, you know, parts in, you know, in my career. EM has obviously been the weakest performer, you know, both the local and the dollar debt. Outflows are creating additional headwinds. We should expect, you know, more hikes from EM central banks. So I think EM is in for some tough sledding. Uh, for the next, you know, for the next couple of couple of quarters, if you think about something like U.S. high yield, you, you know, Leslie, you're right, right? Spreads are, you know, spreads are wider. It's, this is, but still, mostly a a domestic focused market that's overexposed to energy. So it's kind of aligned the right, you know, the right way. The high yield returns were incredibly negative, really, up until Russia invaded, right? The high yield was down about four percent from Jan one to to Feb eleven. You know, since then, high yield's been pretty flat. Right. So even with this geopolitical you know, turmoil, high yield has proven a bit of a safe haven right, over the past the past couple of weeks. Um, Euro spreads, you know, European credit spreads are also under a lot of pressure. Right. European growth is going to be materially impacted you know, by the invasion. Um, energy spikes. Right. These sanctions are going to bite the European economy directly. The ECB probably you know, can, can do very little this year, right, in, in the face of the face of all that. So, you know, this this to us with a flatter yield curve and all the risks that you highlighted, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a more difficult environment. Now, on the positive side, right, we've already seen a lot of repricing in markets. And when you start to look at some of the, you know, funds, some of the opportunities out there, you look at like our AV income fund as an, as an example, right? I mean, you're now getting five plus percent, right, yield to worse levels. And, you know, for us, that starts to become, you know, a lot more attractive in this world of uncertainty, you know, in this world where risk assets, you know, may not perform as they have the past, as well as they have the past couple of years. Well, you know, Scott, it's interesting because our, in terms of, you mentioned your, your rate fee in the beginning, sort of like for the short term, <clears throat> excuse me, that 175 to 2%. And I agree, we do agree with you for the short term. Our, our, our outlook is that, you know, interest rates should pick up to around that 230 level. Obviously, what's happened recently might, you know, not derail, but delay that. It depends on how we see ISM sort of, you know, maintaining in, in an expansionary territory, even though it's, it has been contracting a little bit, but still expansionary. It's expansionary. 
Um, but when we think about that, and your point with high yield, I mean, we, and exactly what you're saying, we know that high yield did, did poorly the first month. It's located around that five-year area of the curve, which leads the way in terms of, you know, a restrictive, if you will, monetary policy. And I use the word restrictive loosely. Um, but when you think about going forward, which could be this, and you want to combine this yield and capital preservation, sort of how would you construct your portfolio? And when I say that, Scott, don't, does that have to be U.S.? It could be either with your thoughts on the dollar or munis or whatever it might be that you might have that you believe, given where we stand today and what's already priced in the marketplace, that our clients really could benefit from a prudent risk reward earn that carry, but, you know, still maintain that capital preservation. Right. Uh, it's, it's, I think that's going to be a, a – that's the right question, Leslie, and I think a real challenge going going forward. So, like, I, I think w- – what do we know, right? The yield curve, pro- you know, continues to flatten. We know the Fed will continue to, you know, to, to for now press on the break, right, you know, with by, by, by hiking rates. What, what do we like, right? We still like the U.S. consumer, Right. For us, yes, gas prices are higher, food prices are higher, but the U.S. consumer, they are getting a pay raise, right? For the most part, uh, nominal wages and even to some extent real wages have continued to move higher. We know there's a lot of savings, right? You know, two plus trillion um, on consumer balance sheets. And we know house prices have, you know, they've plateaued a little bit recently, but they've gone up in a you know, fairly parabolic way the past couple of years. So if you think of things like RMBS, CMBS, CRTs, securitized product that's tied to the U.S. consumer, we think they are still, at least for now, fairly well insulated from a lot of what's, you know, what's going on. So, you know, in our funds, um, floating rate, securitized type products, we think uh, check, you know, check a lot of boxes. You know, I think the second part is, you know, recommending to clients that they have some sort of inflation protection whether that be, you know, as a replacement for some of their core bonds or something like muni inflation, right? That gives you that municipal exposure plus inflation. We're going to stay sticky at these, at these higher levels, right? Where energy prices are, where, where food prices are. The pass-through is going to be, you know, really the, the million-dollar question or the trillion-dollar question that the Fed is going to have to answer. So, you know, we think keeping some of this inflation protection in portfolios, you know, really gives you a little bit of that defensive capital preservation um, nature. Uh, as I said, we did have a sell-off in, you know, rates. We did have a sell-off in both treasuries and credit spreads, which is unusual, right, to see both, you know, moving at, at such a rapid rate higher. You know, that really sets up, you know, more of the balance funds, maybe income type funds that, you know, balance that duration risk and that credit risk can pay you out at about a 5% yield and gives you some of that, gives you some of that um, preservation diversification, right? If we do go through a, a risk, you know, a risk off period. Yeah. And I, and I definitely agree about the, the diversification and obviously, you know, particularly for our clients within the fixed income side, the income component um, is key, but, you know, as you mentioned, it's taking income in a safe manner and understanding where we are in the credit cycle. So with that said, I do want to ask you, I mean, that's just your final thoughts, but I am just curious, like, what, what keeps you up at night? What kind of risk do you think within the fixed income market right now would keep you up? Even though, as you mentioned, you know, we've had a, you know, two months of spread widening, you know, from both pivots, whether it's the Fed and then the geopolitical crisis, like kind of what, what right now would keep you up at night in terms of how you're designing your portfolio? 
Leslie, as fixed income people, we're naturally more pessimistic, right? Than <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? No, we're not. <laughs> That's right. And I, you know, I think when you, when you look out at all the, you know, when you look out at the, at the global landscape, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of negatives uh, out there right now, and it's hard to really see that, you know, what's going to be that pot. You know, you'll see short-term positives. You know, you'll see eventually you know, an end to this invasion, right, in, you know, in some way, shape or form, you know, eventually the Fed will have to pull back on, the, you know, pull, you know, take their foot off the brake, you know, in, in hiking rates and, you know, haven't even started QT, QT yet. So I think what keeps me up at night is that we are headed, you know, we're going to head towards a difficult growth environment in, you know, the fourth quarter, right, so to say. And, you know, is this a recession or is this just, you know, growth going below, right below trend? You know, are we in an environment where the Fed is going to uh, respond to these higher inflation prints and continue to, you know, continue to hike rates, right? You know, a la the 19, you know, the 1970s. And, you know, that didn't end well for, you know, for any real asset, you know, any real asset class. I I absolutely agree with that because that's been, I think, a big debate among ourselves and many investors in terms of, you know, I don't want to say there's not a path to a soft landing, but I think we both admit there's going to be a lot of challenges to that runway. And I think with that said, there'll be volatility, but also opportunity. It's also worth, um, you know, while while not, you know, not as a, not as, what hasn't sold off as much, you know, has been munis. But, you know, munis have gone through a pretty difficult repricing, you know, the past couple of months. They started the year at, you know, very rich levels and have really spent, you know, six or eight weeks cheapening up as rates have gone, rates have gone higher. Um, a lot more forced selling, right, as rates, as rates have moved higher. You know, people have hit the, you know, the panic button a little bit. So we're seeing a lot more opportunities in the municipal space today. So as your clients, you know, are thinking about ways to get, um, you know, ways to get income, you know, muni, muni inflation products, we think make, you know, make sense. The muni market is obviously fairly well insulated from what's happening, you know, in, in, in Europe. Um, and we think, you know, for conservative investors, it's probably something that's worth taking a, taking a look at. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And again, Scott, thank you so much. I, I really, this has been a good conversation and great insights as always. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you, Leslie. Thanks for the questions, Dan and, and Leslie. Appreciate the time. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.